Welcome to The Untrue Show, episode 10. Hello, hello, hello. I am back for episode 10 of The Untrue Show, and I'm glad to be back. I took last week off as a little bit of a breather. I don't know why I did, but it ended up flowing really well because I have a lot more to talk about today, so get excited. I am currently drinking Mango LaCroix. And I just washed my hair, so I have my natural curls, rocking my natural curls on the sofa as I talk to you guys. And I'm about to go to bed after I finish with this conversation, so tonight's going to be a good one. I have a lot of cool stuff to talk about with you guys. I uh, was rolling, or I'm still really excited because the Falcons are going to the Super Bowl. The whole city of Atlanta is just overjoyed, excited, excited. and just it's I feel like it's been a long time coming our city has only won one championship that I can think of one of our sports teams I remember being in elementary school when the Braves won the World Series I want to say against the Minnesota Twins I think that's what it was um don't quote me on that but I do remember us winning the World Series in the 90s and it was a big deal and I think I was in private school when we won maybe like third grade and everybody had their brave shirts and their braves hats and i remember there was one girl in my class who was from minnesota so she like was rooting for the twins and she was really sad about it but the rest of us were atlanta born bred and raised we were all about the braves and just so excited that they won so it's been a long time i mean 96 is what a lot yeah it was a while ago like 20 years ago so it's nice to be back in a position where we can hopefully win. I mean, the NFC championship game was just lit. I was watching it like, who is this team? Um, to preface, though, I only watched like half of one game, one Falcons game all season. No, I'm not a bandwagon fan. I normally watch the highlights and read about the games. And, of course, my dad tells me all about the games after they happened. And even he, in his own way, was very excited that the Falcons are going to the Super Bowl. I know he wouldn't flat out say it, but the way he was talking about it, I could totally tell. So um, he's excited, which means that they actually have a chance of winning because normally he's very like, they're not going to do it. They're not going to go all the way. And he didn't say that. So I think he's optimistic. I think he's really excited. And I am excited too. And I can't wait to see what they're going to do. I mean, the Super Bowl is like – a holiday for me as a marketer just because I love Super Bowl commercials. I look forward to them every year. I think I, I normally write recap blogs about my favorite ones each time they happen. I've already seen one today. I saw the Marshawn Lynch commercial with the Skittles. So he went to Houston, Scotland to talk to people about the game and hand out Skittles on a bike. He had his gold grills in everything. He was just totally being himself. I think that's my favorite thing about Marshawn Lynch is that he's not acting. He's not putting on a show. He's just literally being himself, and he loves Skittles. I remember that when he played in the NFL. He loves Skittles, so it wasn't a bad partnership. It totally made sense that he likes Skittles. He's enthusiastic about them, and he's just showing off his love for them across the town of Houston, Scotland, and asking them do they even know anything about the Super Bowl, which they do, and they're Super Bowl fans. So it's cool to hear the Scotland, the people of Scotland, talk about how they love the Super Bowl, how they stay up for the Super Bowl, how it's a big deal for them, too, all the way over there. And 
just seeing their enthusiasm about it, even in another country. So I, I totally enjoyed that commercial. I can't wait to see more. I literally just read an email from Ad Age that GNC's Super Bowl ad has been canceled or was rejected because it had two products in it that contain banned substances in the NFL. So I can't wait to see if they're going to be able to get it together and get something else out there by Sunday. I mean, they got a couple of days, but you never know. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I'm just so excited to see who's going to have the best commercial, who's going to have the best social media engagement and what everyone is going to do. So the next thing I want to talk about is Serena Williams. So over the last weekend, she won her 23rd Grand Slam, which is so great. She actually beat her sister Venus for this one. And I, by, I guess some coincidence, Thursday night when I was working out, I actually watched the Serena documentary on Hulu. And let me tell you guys, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. She talks about her work ethic, her desires, and childhood, um, and how it shapes who she has become as a woman. And I think that all of us have these childhood experiences that make us the people that we are today. Some of them, some of those experiences really positive, some negative, but all the footage of her in the past shows her and her sister with their braids and their beads and their dad on the courts where she grew up and I want to say they grew up in Compton uh, California and she just talks about like I didn't have a bed to sleep on and she said we just played tennis and I was the, I was the little sister so no one expected anything of from me and so I just had to prove myself and I really admire that like I love Serena Williams and I think I talked about her in a previous podcast so that's okay <laughs> but you know I admire her a lot and I really enjoy this behind the scenes look at how she feels about what everyone else says about her and how she feels about some of those moments that maybe aren't so beautiful or aren't so fantastic. Like I remember there was one moment where she was yelling at the ref and she kind of talks about that. She said, you know, I'm just really passionate and sometimes I get emotional, but everything I do, they take it and they want to make it into something else. And she said, sometimes I don't understand why is it because I'm a woman or is it because I'm a black woman? I don't get it. Um, she talks about the sport of tennis being a very white cookie cutter sport and how she just didn't fit into the mold. And sometimes that is painful to try to to play in that sport. And it's just not diverse. And she just um, she just talks about her experiences there. And then there was the Indian Wells experience, which this is my first time learning about it. But she and her sister years ago um, played a match at Indian Wells. And um, Venus was sick. I think are injured and she, she drew, pulled out of the competition. So they tried to say that uh, the Williams sisters, it was a conspiracy to get um, Serena in the finals. And it was a conspiracy that she won and they were yelling racial slurs at her while she was playing and they booed her when she won and Indian Wells is in America. So it's like, it's not like she was in England or Australia getting booed. She was getting booed by people in her home country and she just talked about how hurtful that experience was and how she and Venus never went back there until many years later. And what inspired her to go back there was a meeting with Nelson Mandela, how he had to forgive the people who put him where he was. And she just talks about her experience, like letting it go and forgiving them and just embracing that moment and going back there. And she talks to Billie Jean King and one of the things that she says, like literally the first couple seconds of the movie or documentary, she says, 
would you rather not be the best or would you rather be on the verge of something special? And that's the way she looks at her career. Like, I, I would I, um, pressure is a privilege. And that's what she learned from Billie Jean King, who's a tennis great, that the pressure that she feels before going into these matches and before taking on these big challenges is is a privilege for her like she doesn't have to work hard to do these things and if she really wanted to she could quit she doesn't have to do this she doesn't have anything else to prove and in the documentary I want to say she was 33 and now she is 35 36 so she's at older for you know to be playing tennis and to be doing so much but she's still going and and that was one thing she said in the documentary like I have so much left to do and I'm not done yet and I think that it's awesome that everyone is telling these stories these new stories like Serena is the oldest for her age Serena is the oldest woman to do this the first woman to do this and you know she's got 23 grand slams or 20 and it's awesome, but in her mind, she's not done yet, and she's going to keep going, and I really admire that. I think it's awesome. Tennis is an intense sport. It's not like swimming. I think that someone like Michael Phelps can swim for years and years and years, but there's certain sports that have a life cycle or lifespan, and it's like gymnasts, tennis players, basketball players, they can't do that type of stuff for a long period. And I'm most sad for gymnasts because they really have a very short career span where they can only do so much in a very limited time because their bodies just can't take it anymore. Their bodies grow, their bodies change, they hit puberty, and they just can't compete at the level that they used to. So I really enjoyed um, that documentary. And if you guys watch it, let me know. I, I highly recommend it. It was a great just a really well done documentary um she talks about the media's um I guess fascination with her figure and um how she's like you know I have a you know a curvy body I have a butt and I have boobs and um her coach comments and he's like yeah her arms and her butt that's what gives her all the power and he, he her coach is really great he talks through how she's successful on the court and how she can kind of like not do well the entire match and then just this fire comes on within her that helps her win and puts her over the edge so again I really can't say enough good things about it watch it if you get a chance she loves Little Mermaid so basically she's like my long lost older sister and honestly watching she and Venus play each other and um, watching Serena beat Venus two times in the documentary and just go over and hug her and say like I feel when she loses. That's my sister. They live together. It made me really wish that I had a sister. And um, yeah, watch it if you guys have a chance. But next thing I'm going to talk about is New Edition. I know everyone's talking about the BET movie. I unfortunately did not get to see it because I don't have BET. But I was really happy that all the sentiment around the film has been so positive. Um, Since I was having major FOMO around not being able to see the movie, I purchased the Bobby Brown's memoir that came out, I want to say late last year called Every Little Step. So (laughs) this memoir has been on my Amazon card or save list for months because I'm like, I want to read it. I want to read it. I'm going to get to it. I love memoirs and I was just so caught up in seeing, you know, everybody talk about the documentary and then I'm not the documentary talk about the movie and then seeing Belle Biv DeVoe or was it Belle Biv DeVoe? I think it was Mike 
Ronnie and I can't remember the other one's name. Three of them ended up going to the breakfast club last week, but I know Ronnie was there and it wasn't Ralph because Ralph, I'm a Ralph girl. Ralph was not there. So three of them were there at the breakfast club and I know one was Mike and one was Ronnie. The other was not Ralph and it wasn't, um, Johnny Gill. So anyway, three of them were there. I loved watching them interview. I love the Boston accents. Mike has a great accent. I love hearing them talk about their experience. So I get Bobby Brown's book, start reading it. And let me tell you guys, this book was a memoir, but the life he's led didn't seem like it could be real. Like it, it seemed like a fiction book to me, but this guy, like Bobby Brown went through all these things and the writing style of the memoir was very much his voice but it was it was done really well like it was I could tell that it was something that he wrote he put his heart into and he put his his voice on top of but it was a really great read it was very interesting very detailed about his childhood and how he was living in the fast lane at a very very young age he was robbing people stealing things he was at the age of eight years old introduced to pornography and introduced to sex just very very early um and he watched someone die and all this stuff happened. He was even shot and all this stuff, most of the stuff happened right before he turned 14 and got into new edition. In fact, he was shot. I want to say after candy girl and he didn't tell anybody. He said getting shot through his knee. It went, the bullet went through his knee getting shot. And it was because of a girl. But anyway, getting shot helped him dance better. So he talks about that in the book and, and, I, I appreciated how he talked about Whitney Houston, but he didn't do so in a disrespectful or, or mean way. He gave his side of things, but it was still, you know, enough for you to see Whitney Houston as, as the image that we've seen her. Um, I feel like growing up in the 90s as a kid, I just kept seeing everybody paint him as the bad influence on America's sweetheart. And as time has gone by through behind the music and true Hollywood stories and all these other things that we've learned about Whitney Houston. She wasn't necessarily that image all the time. So he didn't, he didn't sugarcoat that. He's like, like, this is, this is Whitney Houston that I knew. This is why I fell in love with her. Cause she was like almost the female version of everything he went through and that he, who he was like, he talked about how they, um, would basically party together how she introduced him to some things and they just cheated on each other. And it just, it was a lot. It was, it was a whirlwind of stuff. Um, I always remember that Barbara Walters interview that Whitney gave, I think it was Barbara Walters or Diane Sawyer where she's like, crack is whack, crack is whack. And then the Oprah Winfrey interview where she talked negatively about Bobby and painting stuff on the walls and how he was doing different things to her and you know his side of things is totally different and it just really made me realize when it comes to the truth the reality of the way that you see it or I see it is totally different like what's true to me is not necessarily true to you so his side is very interesting her side is very interesting somewhere in between those two stories is the reality of what happened he even talks about everything that Bobby Christina went through and how, you know, their relationship was strained when he decided he didn't want to be with Whitney Houston anymore. So it's, it was just a very interesting read. I'm glad I bought it. It was $10. And 
one of my about the Kindle version. So one of my favorite parts of it was where he talked about the making of Don't Be Cruel. I was too young when it came out, but I do remember, you know, watching the Bobby Brown music videos. And as an adult, when I listen to Don't Be Cruel, I feel like it's one of the best R&B albums of the 90s, of of probably my lifetime. Um, if I had to rank it, it'd probably be somewhere in the top five. I mean, Don't Be Cruel, Roni, Rock With You, Every Little Step, like those are R&B classics. And Bobby Brown his Gumby haircut, his styling, his dance moves, to me, were everything at that time. Like, I just remember seeing every little step and just wanting to, do, you know, do the running man and just jump around and thinking that he was just so fly. So that was really, you know, it was just really cool to hear his story about the making of the album, how it came together, how he worked with – um Babyface and L.A. Reid and then he worked with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and how he kind of made that New Jack Swing sound his own and how he left New Edition and um, some of the drama that was behind him leaving was very interesting and then his just overall love for music so he talked about that a lot and throughout the book he had you know inserts or little statements from Ralph Tresvant, which he said is his, is his good friend. So Ralph had a couple paragraphs about when he realized that Bobby and Whitney were like really together and his daughter, LaPrincia, his do- his son, Bobby Jr. And he had a son named Landon too. He has a son named Landon. So all of them kind of give their, their take on what was happening, what was going on. And even his current wife, Alicia, who I did not know was the girl playing the saxophone in the rump shaker video. And I think that's how they met. So they met and knew each other for a long time. But it's crazy how life works and and keeps people in our lives. And um, they end up remaining friends. And then now they're married to each other. So that's the way things go. Anyway, um, moving on to the next trending topic. I saw this clip of this girl on Dr. Phil's show where she's like, catch me outside, right? And she's basically talking about, telling someone to go outside so they can fight. So they basically remixed this into this whole rap video, and it's really funny. So if you have a chance, just Google Catch Me Outside and see all the remixes, and everyone's using that phrase. And she's like, how about that? And she has this accent. And she's trying to use an urban accent, but she doesn't look – the accent doesn't really match what she looks like because she looks very much like – um a girl from secret life of American teenager, like very white, very long hair. And this accent doesn't match who she is, who she is, but she's just trying to make it match her. So it's just all out of place. But the rap remix of that is very funny. So if you get a chance, check it out. But time to kind of talk about the main point of this podcast for today. I, um, I have to be honest. I'm a little bit overwhelmed and kind of, down in the dumps over the inauguration the protest and all the negativity that's happening online it's starting to get to me a little bit and I haven't really been able to handle it in the best way I watched the inauguration I started out with a really like positive optimistic attitude when it was going happening but as the the morning went on what really um, kind of got me frustrated was when Donald Trump started his speech. I was kind of like, okay, 
the campaign is over. We can, you know, have a positive outlook, look ahead and be optimistic. But the speech didn't match my expectations. So I ended up muting it because I was like, I can't take this. Um, and then I get online over the past weekend and I see this big delete Uber campaign happening and I was so confused about what was going on and I read the story about it and I see about the ban on Muslims and I just I just got overwhelmed and my first thought was where am I supposed to go to find some unbiased information about what's happening and the reality is there's nowhere to really go to find unbiased information Um, because every article out there is written by a person and everybody has an opinion And immediately when I see what's going on, I have an opinion too. Like, okay, we're banning people from coming to the country. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't have a positive sentiment about that. I thought that America was supposed to be the land of the brave, home of the free, equal opportunity. But I, in, in hearing those things or hearing myself say those things, I know that America is not that I wish that it was, but it's not a hundred percent the land of the free home of the brave, equal opportunity country. It's just not. Um, And I can see how people can just jump online and see things happening in their social media feed and immediately believe that they're true or accurate. I mean, think about how much fake news gets spread. I'll never forget, I got an article from one of my aunts, and this is back when, not even back, you know, remember years and years ago when everybody used to send those forward email chains So this was well after those were popular because, you know, our aunts and family relatives, they kind of jump on trends late. So my aunts were on that trend a little bit later than it was happening. And they forwarded this email around about um, a celebrity saying how she wouldn't date men of her race. So essentially this forward email chain was totally false and something that was totally made up, just a fake narrative. But how easy it was for my aunt to believe it and pass it along and it didn't start with her so that means someone before her believed it and passed it on to her and the cycle just continues to be passed on and passed on and passed on of fake news so like I said it's just very easy to find something believe wholeheartedly in it and then share it and 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 it's not even the truth So how can we, you know, look at, look at articles and look at news content and look at hashtags, which is what I did when I saw the delete Uber hashtag and say, what's the truth? And then what's a lie? Because some of this stuff is a lie. It's not reality and it's made up. There's a lot of fake news out there. Um, A lot of fake articles, fake memes, fake quotes, that just flow and flow and flow and and we give life to them by sharing them. So you, you just have to be careful. Like I, and I I even equate it to something like this. You see your friend posts an article and you just read the title and you instantly engage with it. You like it, you share it, you, you wow it, you love it, all those things, but you didn't even really read the facts on the post because I saw people saying delete Uber and then I go read the story and I was like, I got a little confused about what was going on, but then I was like, okay, I, I get where this is going. And then, then people were bit. Uh, yeah. 
it just was all a little bit confusing to see at one time. So after I really got a handle on what the story was about, I was like, okay, I get why people want to delete Uber. I get why Lyft is, is, I want to say, I don't know. I hate to say this, but I feel like they were really just kind of taking the moment and running with it. And if I was a social media manager for them, I'd probably do the same, but they basically, they donated money to the ACLU and, just kind of ran with the fact that people were deleting Uber and use that moment to to push their services. And I get on Twitter and I search Lyft and I see people sharing their Lyft code for free rides and $50 off. And to some extent, I'm like, that's almost just as bad as, I, yeah, it's just, that kind of irked me a little bit that people were sharing their Lyft code. Yeah, that's, it's not the time but maybe, it, I mean, I don't know. I It bothered me. I'll put it that way. I can't speak for anyone else, but it bothered me to see people saying like $50 off Lyft with this code, Jonathan, or uh, I know Black China has one, though I did not see her tweet it. So I can't, I'm not going to put that out there, but I've seen her posted on Instagram several times for people to use her Lyft code or her Postmates code. So I just really think that there's just so much going on and it's just hard to really see the light from the fog. And it, it's very confusing and very frustrating. Like literally before I signed on to do this podcast, I saw that a, an attorney general tried to ban what's happening from happening. And she said it was unconstitutional for Donald Trump to do this, to, to, to put the ban on Muslims. And next thing I know, I see an article that says, Donald Trump fired her. It was Attorney General Sally Yates. He fired her when she ordered Justice Department lawyers to stop defending his executive order. So that's terrifying to know that when you speak up against something, you can immediately get fired. That that was scare me to the core. Like, I don't want to lose my job just for trying to have a voice and be a human and have an opinion. Terrifying, right? So I wonder how that's going to go next. But I I think the best way for me to, to just kind of sort out what I feel and not associate, not try to like project my feelings through someone else, because that often happens too. like you'll be online like, oh, this person feels sad about this article. I feel sad about it, too. No, I don't feel sad about it. I don't know how I feel. But when I really think about it, maybe it doesn't really phase me. Or when I really think about it, maybe it has me down in the dumps and I just want to feel something instead of feeling vicariously through someone else, which often happens. So anyway, um, how do you guys handle that? I what I try to do is instead of just engaging with a headline, I really try to go in and like read an article about what's going on. Like with the Uber thing, I really wanted to figure out what it was about instead of just following the wave on Twitter, which is easy to jump on a wave and just surf it. Um, because that was trending for a long time over the weekend. And then I started watching the press briefing today and the, the, what is his name? The White House press secretary, Sean Spicer, was just very, I felt like I was trying to listen to him, but then he kept talking about what, George W. Bush did and particularly what Obama did and how all the Democrats were talking against um, the Secretary of State nominee and it just was 
it was very aggravating. And he started talking about the size of the audience of Donald Trump over the weekend. I was just like, man, all this stuff isn't really that important. I'd rather hear about the ban or other stuff. It was very, to me, very odd. Like, why does it matter um, the audience size? It doesn't matter. Why does it matter who who tuned in to anything that the president did like it's not really relevant to his work the audience size and he yeah I don't know I mean oh yeah it's just frustrating to think about like I don't care this is not Nielsen ratings it doesn't matter if 51 people watched it or 51 million I mean the word's gonna spread through some form or medium of what happened and what he did so let that be what it is but anyway um it's just weighing heavy on me and I'm not sure how you guys feel about it, but it just, it's taxing. I think about Solange's album and that song weary when she says I'm weary of the ways of the world, because it does make me feel a little bit weary when everyone is at odds with each other. And it seems like we all just hate each other, which is tragic because we should love each other. And I think hate is what got us to this point where we are and it's not going to get us any further. So it's just something that's been weighing heavily on my heart. I just can't, um, sometimes can't see past it. And I've been trying to limit my online time and read books like, like the one I mentioned earlier. And I've read a couple other ones and I'll, I'll share those in another podcast, but that's been one of my 2017 goals and a source of joy and a good distraction from everything that's happening in the world. I mean, I want to stay informed, but part of me is like, how informed do I really want to be? Like how engaged with this do I really see myself being? Because the more engaged I get with it, the more frustrated I get, the more disappointed I get, and the more um sad I get. I don't want to I don't want to be too in, into this or too wrapped up in it. But it's hard not to be like that. This is everything that everyone's talking about. I mean, I saw a news article yesterday that was talking about how the first movie that Donald Trump showed in the White House was Finding Dory and people had a problem with it. And I was like, why is that a thing? I mean, he has a 10 year old kid. So, I mean, I saw Finding Dory in the theaters. So I guess the, if the 10 year old kid's there, it's a great movie pick because the kid probably loved it. So, yeah I mean of all the things to get angry about that he's done that's like the smallest level one so let's let's be angry about some of the other stuff or let's just give less attention to to frivolous things like that but anyway I um I missed podcasting last week and I'm really glad to be back this week I can't wait to talk to you guys more like I said, podcasting has been my favorite thing lately, and I just wanted to grow my podcast. I was brainstorming some ideas of things I'd love to share with you guys, and I can't wait to to do that in the near future. Let me know how you guys are feeling. I'd love to hear from you, and let me know what you think about the show so far, and I am going to head off to bed, but... I will be back next week. I might even try to be back right after the Super Bowl. I'm not going to make promises because Super Bowl is in so late. Um, but 
we'll see what I can do. And I will definitely recap all my favorite ads, commercials, all that jazz and all my engage, all the my favorite engagements through social media and all that stuff. So I will talk to you guys soon. And if you're feeling like I am, find a release. Like I said, reading books has been a great escape for me. Um, I'm going to get back into taking my walks, but man, I was having some knee pains over the last week for my injury, but I will get back into it. Long walks really help me just find some solace and find a little bit of peace. And I love doing them. Um, I'm going to do this new fitness thing for February, which I'll share with you guys in February, which is in a couple days. Um, just a, a, a random goal that I thought about trying to achieve over the next 28 days of the month. So I'm rambling now, but I'm going to go ahead and end things. And I hope that the rest of you guys have a great week and you take a little bit of time to find your own opinion about what's going on instead of just kind of falling in with the pack and um, surfing the wave of what everyone else thinks. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.